Awesome. Good morning, everybody. A couple of announcements for you. My name's Jeremy. Uh, that's not an announcement. I get that's just who I am. A um, couple of things going on in the life of our church right now that uh, would be great for you to know about. Even though summer is upon us, there are still a number of events that are coming throughout the summer that I want to make you aware of. Uh, one major one that's coming on the heels of that big thing that we did last week when all of the fifth graders turned into sixth graders magically before our eyes. Uh, we have a, an entire summer full of youth programming for middle school and high school students. Uh, as multiple congregations and one church, we have one youth group. And that one youth group pulls from every one of our congregations to have this big, fun, glorious atmosphere. Uh, and this next week, there's going to be something almost every night of the week. This is Youth Summer Fun Week. So if you'd like more information about that, you can scan the QR code on the back of the chair in front of you. You can sign up for all those events and have all of that information right in the palm of your hand. Uh, secondly, we've got a congregational meeting, again, one church, multiple congregations, and once a year in July, we get together with all of those congregations for a meeting. Some of that is just to recognize that we are one church, to recognize that as much of our daily life happens in this room and around this group of people, that there is something that God is doing that is much bigger than just this room that we are also very much a part of. So on July 20th, that is actually happening here. Last time it happened at our Granny White campus. This time it's happening right here in this very room. Come on, Creve Hall. And part of that is that we get to kind of like show, it's like when, uh, you know, when you're in college and you fix up your dorm room and then your parents come to see it and you get to be like, look, and this is where my futon is and this is my double-decker bed and all those things. So we're going to get to show off our campus. We're going to get to show off our community uh, and invite the rest of our church into what it is to do life in and around Creve Hall. So I invite you to, to be a part of that. It's, it, this is actually like, if you're a member, this is one of your responsibilities is to be at this once a year meeting because there will be a couple of items that we will also be voting on. Um, and so that's business that is, involves you, our congregation, and that you have a voice and a vote and a part to play in what we are doing. So there'll be more about that in coming weeks, but just wanna go ahead. I believe there's been an, in, an email in your inbox. Is this true? There's been an email that's been circulating, so more information in that email as well. Last thing is we've got Explore Midtown coming. So twice a year, if you are uh, interested in pursuing membership here at this One Church Multiple Congregations, then uh, there's an opportunity where all those congregations come together and do kind of a, a multiple night. This is who we are, this is what we believe, and this is what it means to be a part of this body. So that happens in August, and again, more information about that in the email or in the newsletter that you can find there on the uh, website at the QR code. Okay, there's a lot of information. Um, if I've left anything out, then, uh, well, one, just welcome. Thank you for uh, being here and gathering together. This, uh, the church is not a place, it's a people. And so being with you is a reminder that, uh, that we collectively together represent Jesus for each other. Uh, this Jesus who we can't see, touch, taste, or smell right now, uh, he exists here among us. So welcome, and thank you for being here to help me see Jesus more. Uh, with that, we've got 
Let's go ahead and kick this off with our scripture reading. So Betsy, would you be able to go ahead and come up? Come on, Betsy Williams. Wonderful. Everybody, Betsy. Betsy, everybody. Our first scripture, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we are... Uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our second scripture, Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated at the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Betsy. So um, my family about a year ago just discovered what I'm sure many of you have been privy to for many years. Uh, there's this musical called Hamilton. And we're just a little late to the party. But about a year ago, we just, we started binging on that thing. We watched it on Disney Plus. We'd listen to the music. Our kids listen to music uh, while they're getting ready for bed every night. And that would be on rotation as, uh, as they were getting ready for bed. And if you're unfamiliar, this is a, a musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Depicts the life of Alexander Hamilton, who's one of the founding fathers. Crazy life. Uh, and one of the my favorite scenes, and I think one of the most standout scenes in the whole movie, is King George III. You remember the King George III? He comes out. He's this kind of weaselly, arrogant, dribbling king. He's dressed in all of his kingly regalia with his goofy crown and all of his, uh, his velvet accoutrement. And this is, uh, and he sings this song. I won't sing the whole thing for you but I will sing the little jingle. Da, 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 right? You'll be back. You just wait and see. You're gonna come dribbling back to me. And when we in our minds as Americans think of a king, this might be more of the image that's conjured in our heads because we're Americans, dadgummit. We moved away from a kingdom. We are a democracy. We all have one equal vote. We don't need a king, or do we? Because what we have left in kingship in this world is a kingship that falters and fails ultimately because it can't hold the weight of the responsibility. There has not been one king in the history of eternity, in the history of, of history that has been able to function appropriately in all of those responsibilities, to unite all things together, to create this world peace that we all so desire. But what if that kind of a king existed? 
What if that kind of a king not only existed, but had already come into history and had begun that process of uniting and bringing the peace that only his rule and his reign can? That's what we just met in these two texts that we just read. When Jesus asks us to pray and teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. Again, what may be conjured up in our heads when Jesus comes onto the scene and John the Baptist says, the kingdom of God is near. And here it is. We may not have the best understanding of what this kind of kingship is. But what we're going to attempt to do in our few minutes together today is to bring a a more biblical understanding of what is this kingdom that Jesus is talking about and asking us to pray for and asking us that would we more pursue in our hearts, in our minds, and in our everyday lives the bringing of that kingdom on heaven as it is or on earth as it is in heaven. And so this whole series is predicated on the idea that prayer is hard. And so every week we're trying to unpack different things that make prayer difficult. The past two weeks, you've had an opportunity. I don't have it for you today. I'm sorry if you missed it. Uh, But we've had an opportunity to participate in a survey. We had 100 participants in that survey. 57 of you, one of, you could check multiple boxes, but one of the boxes that was predominantly the most checked was, I'm just too busy. I'm too busy to pray. There's too much going on in my life. Totally get it. Totally with you. This sermon is for all of us together. Because I think a question that Jesus might pose to us this morning, as we read about that we're supposed to model in our lives a posture of your kingdom, not mine. That anytime Jesus says something to do, it's because he expects that the opposite is already happening in your life. And the same with all of the biblical writers. And so in this moment, for Jesus to say, your kingdom come, the assumption then is that most of your life and most of my life is based on building my kingdom and not his. And based on focusing on my kingdom of self, not his kingdom of glory. So the invitation for us together as we're going to do a two-part because this is such a difficult uh, issue in all of our lives of just the busyness of life. How do I pray in the busyness of life? So this week, we're going to just talk about what does it mean? How do I slow my role to recognize that there is a bigger kingdom and there is a greater king than myself that is at play in my life and matters that I am more aware of in all of my dailies? So the ultimate question today is how do I go From my kingdom come to thy kingdom come. My kingdom come to thy kingdom come. Those are our two points. So first, my kingdom come. This one's a lot easier than the thy. What is ultimately this kingdom that Jesus is talking about first? What what is the understanding that he is pulling from when he says the kingdom of God is near? The kingdom of God is at hand. Pray like this, your kingdom come. This draws all the way back to the very first pages of this thing. All the way back to the very beginning of the book 
where creation breaks, where the world falls apart, where Adam and Eve choose to take the kingship of God and take the crown and put it on their heads instead of his head. And every moment forward from that moment, the brokenness and sinfulness and awfulness of the world is what we now exist in. But all the way back in those same beginning pages where that uh, initial atrocity took place, there also was an equal and opposite reaction moving in the other direction. An equal and opposite reaction moving in the direction of redemption that was set forth. And so there was this promise, this little seed kernel of a promise to Adam and to Eve that from your womb will come one who will fix all this stuff. And then a little bit further along, you get Abraham. Abraham comes on the scene and God comes to him and says, from your lineage, there will be one who will bless the world. So this is now a world-changing person, a world-changing Messiah, a world-changing Savior that's being pointed to. Move a little bit further in the book of Genesis. Genesis 50, you get this image from Joseph, who's just risen to power in Pharaoh's kingdom in Egypt. And there's a promise to him that another kingdom is, another king is coming and a greater kingdom than Egypt is coming. Move a little further along. King David, there's this promise to King David that someone will always sit from your line on the throne of David. This kingship metaphor is continuing to grow throughout scripture and being filled out with more and more imagery. Finally, in Isaiah, there's this picture and this image of a king who will come, but this king will not be like any king that you have ever seen or experienced because he will not serve himself at your expense. He will serve you at his expense. That's what a good leader does. That's what a good king does. And that's the king that is being pointed to. And then in the very first pages of the gospels, the announcement, the pronouncement from, from both John the Baptist and Jesus himself, the kingdom of God is here. And his name is Jesus. All of that, the sweep of the Old Testament, all pointing in the direction of Jesus. His rule. And his reign is what's being described here as he asks us to pray for it. And the New Testament is actually going to go on and describe, Jesus gives us these little par parables, these little stories, so that we can understand what kind of kingdom is this, Jesus? Because again, he understands and realizes and knows that our assumption of what a king is, their understanding in the day of Jesus of what a king is, is going, to be, is going to drastically pale in comparison to the king that Jesus actually is. And so he's going to go on to describe all the way through uh, the Gospels, you hear Jesus say, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. And he describes things like, this is a generous kingdom. This is a just kingdom. This is a growing kingdom, like a mustard seed, but then becomes the biggest tree in the garden. And it's this metaphor and this image is so big and so important. We're actually going to pull out of this series. And after we're done with this prayer series, we're going to spend five weeks at the end of the summer just focused on the kingdom of God. What does that mean to live in that kingdom? So if you don't get all that answered today, we will have more opportunity because that is a massive metaphor as we understand what it means to live as a Christian in this world. Okay. Then here's where Jesus goes. 
right after the announcement, the kingdom of God is near. Mark 1.15, here it is. I think it's up here. The kingdom of God, I'm sorry, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is out of Jesus's mouth. Repent and believe the gospel. So again, here's the assumption. There is a new king and a new kingdom who is riding into town. You therefore have to get off of your throne and you have to now give that throne to this new king, King Jesus. Because what's true is that my kingdom come is real easy for me. For my kingdom to come, we are all natural born kingdom builders. We love to build things, to create and build things that ultimately benefit us, even at the expense of other people. And this has been so twisted in ourselves. We're just born into, we're, we're born naturally in our ability to do this, where we are on the throne, where we are worshiped and hailed, where we are using all of our time and our abilities and our money and our intellect for the sake of me. And so we get busy. We get busy with my habits, my hobbies, my career, my friendships, my profile, my families, my hobbies, and God and his plans for this world and for my life get crowded out or maybe never even were in the periphery to begin with. This is how I lived 21 years of my life. Never even knew that there was any other way to live. I thought it was just me against the world. And so if I didn't take care of me, who would take care of me? A couple of diagnostic questions that may help figure out where might I be building my own kingdom right now? How do you handle setbacks in your life? How do you handle when you think you're headed this direction and then something happens and all of a sudden you're headed 180 degrees the other direction? When your plans for your life and ultimately the sovereign plans of this hand that is guiding all of reality brings you in the other direction. How do you handle that? Where are places in your life right now that you might be white knuckling that no, 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 this is the direction we're going because this is the direction my kingdom is headed. We're going this way. Where right now might be you setting the agenda for your life in a way that Whatever, let's say for the sake of, of argument right now, whatever that hand that seems to be pulling you in the opposite direction as you resist might be. Because this American dream of this kingdom of self life that we have been sold ultimately is an end in and of itself. We get good grades to get into a good college. We get into a good college so we can get a good job. We get a good job so we can marry a good partner. We marry a good partner so we can have 2.5 kids and a good dog. Uh, we marry a good partner, have 2.5 kids and a good dog so we can get a good car. So we can retire good and early. So we can have good vacations, have good grandkids, go on good vacations with our good grandkids, live good, live long, die with a smile on my face, the end. And for many of us naturally, for me naturally, that's what I hope for. That's about as far as the vision for my life goes. And if, if there's no greater reality, then that squares. If there is nothing else other than me against the world, then go live. 
Go suck up all the resource and fill yourself with it. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you'll die. But what if there's more? What if there's a greater story? What if there's a greater kingdom? Because if that is our vision for life, then where are the hurting? Where are the poor? Where are the immigrant? Where's the people outside of your front door and your garage door that you race into and close as quickly as you can? Where's the environment? Where's the glory of all kinds of other walks and ways of life than just what America says we should live into? Where's the glory of singleness? Where's the glory of not going to college and going straight into the workforce? Where is the glory in a multitude, a multiplicity of different stories that we might live up into? This is how John Mark Comer describes this in his book, uh, all along this topic and very much uh, would encourage you to read it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, John Mark says this, the mind is the portal to the soul and whatever you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you give your attention to. Again, what is your vision for life? That bodes well for apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in the world, but not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel. As if we give it in the first place, much of it's stolen by a clever algorithm out to monetize our precious attention. But again, we become what we give our attention to, better or worse. What are you giving your attention to? What is the vision, your ultimate outcome for your days? And is this kingdom that you're desiring big enough? Or is there another one that you were meant to fit in under? He goes on to say this, The solution then to an over-busy life is not more time. It's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. So for Jesus to come on the scene and say, repent, turn around, believe believe there is something so much bigger in this world than yourself and your story, but yourself and your story fits so beautifully under this grand narrative that's been happening all the way from the beginning of history and will culminate all the way at the end of history, like we read in Revelation 21. And so let's just say we find ourselves today maybe caught by this prayer point, your kingdom come, where we've recognized okay, I get it, I know, I know I'm over busy, I know I focus a lot on myself, I know I wish I could just think less about me and more about other people, I wish I could think less about me and more about my family, I wish I could think less about me and more about my friends, I wish I could think less about me and more about my church, whatever that is. That still, identifying the problem doesn't necessarily fix the problem. I can identify all kinds of problems in myself, in my family, in the world, 
It doesn't mean it fixes anything. What is going to fix this over-busy engine inside of myself that says, my kingdom come, my kingdom come, my kingdom come? It is only by an announcement of good news that we begin to believe so in our DNA that it begins to leak out in everything that we do. When Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel, that word gospel in this day and age would have brought this, among a few others, but this picture to mind. The gospel, good news in Greek in that moment, meant that when there was a war going on in a faraway land and there was a messenger who was witnessing this war happen and witnessed the battle being won, that messenger would then come back to the city that was embattled and would say, good news, good news, gospel, gospel, the war is over, victory is here, our kingdom won. This is a great day. This is great news. That's gospel. And so when Jesus says, believe the gospel, he's saying, believe, even embedded in that word, believe the good news that there is victory, that our kingdom has won, that good is winning, even when it doesn't feel like it, that truth is winning, even when it feels like there's only fake news everywhere, that beauty is winning, even when we look outside our window and see so much death and sadness and pain. Because there is good news that Jesus is announcing here and then would go live out. Because Jesus announces this good news when he's 30 years old and then for the next three years begins to live into that good news. Begins to be the good news that he had just announced. Began to be the king that all the Old Testament said he would be. Began to be the king as he lived a perfect life, submitted to his father, submitted to the one that this whole Lord's Prayer begins with, that loved and lived and submitted to his kingdom vision for his life, even when it meant his own death. Because this King Jesus had stepped off of his throne to come to his people enslaved. In many ways, we haven't done this by choice to ourselves. Sin has done this to us. And we now live out of this is the only worldview that we believe exists until the Holy Spirit comes in and says, good news. There's something bigger. There's something better. This Jesus has won. He has won the battle by, for our freedom by sacrificing himself, by standing in our place for our treason of taking God's crown and putting it on our heads. Jesus has taken a crown of thorns, an ultimate curse, and put it on his head and taken his crown and put it on ours. And so we are now heirs to the throne. That's the story. That's why things like the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings just sing because there's something inside of us that's like, yeah, that's what I want. That's the story I want to be a part of. And what Jesus says is that that story is possible. And not just possible, that story is here. And so Jesus doesn't end dead in the grave. Jesus comes back three days later and then rises. You ever wonder why he rises? Where'd he go? Did he just go to like float in the clouds for a little while? 
No, this, this image of rising, again, is a kingly image. It is an image of one who is stepping up and ascending to where Revelation describes that he is now seated on his throne at the right hand of his father, ruling and reigning all things for those that believe in him and those that don't. This is his world. Have we submitted ourselves to that reality? He is bringing his truth and his goodness and his beauty to bear here, here, and here. Revelation 21.5. I think we got it up here. This is his pronouncement to you. And this includes you. And it includes this entire world. Behold, I am making all things new. This is what he began with that promise all the way back in Genesis 3. And what has now come to complete fruition in the person and work of Jesus. This is his kingdom. This is where it's headed. And this is now the place that we get to play and enjoy and smile because we know the end of the story. So a picture that's really helpful for me in understanding what we, we live in between these two worlds. Jesus has said, I am making all things new, but he hasn't made all things new yet. And so we live in this already of the kingdom, but the not yet of the kingdom in its fullness. So um, there's this, this illustration that uh, really helps me. When you think about World War II at the very end, there was D-Day, that was when the Allied troops stormed the beach at Normandy. That was June 6, 1944. Historians say, and functionally in the war at that time, they would say that was the end of the war. That was at least the beginning of the end of the war and the Allied troops winning against Germany and the Axis powers. That was the day that victory was secured. But did the battle end then? No. Peace did not come for another entire year. May 8th, 1945 is VE Day, which is when Germany finally declared full and total defeat and peace reigned. In that interim between D-Day and VE Day, beautiful things began to happen. Like Auschwitz was liberated. Right in the middle of that, January 27th, four months prior to the pronouncement that full peace had begun and Germany had totally surrendered. Auschwitz was liberated. And that's the image and the picture of what the Holy Spirit is at and doing and active at right now. Though VE Day hasn't happened, though full peace we don't experience right now, the Holy Spirit, one by one, little by little, in each of us, uh, and in new people every day and in all walks of life and all ages and stages and all parts and nations and tribes and tongues and cities. He's at work and he is slowly beginning this work of redemption that begins as small as a mustard seed. And by the time this thing is over, there's gonna be so much glory, Habakkuk says, that it'll be like the waters filling the sea is how much glory will exist on this earth, so much so that we'll barely be able to bear it.
your kingdom come. This battle is won. And so he calls us to pray, your kingdom come, because he wouldn't ask us to pray something that isn't at least partly right now possible. And so we pray, would your kingdom come in my family right now? Would your kingdom come for this child right now? Would your kingdom come in my church right now? Would your kingdom come in this anxiety inside of me right now? Would your kingdom come in my job right now? Would your kingdom come in my boss right now? Would your kingdom come in my neighbor right now? Would your kingdom come? Your truth, your goodness, your beauty to bear on all things. And then trust and watch and wait. And who knows? This is an adventure. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like as that plays out. But that's part of the glory of it too is we're not in charge. And so it gives us our part to play. And the first part of that part to play is to ask him to bring his power to bear on this. And then we get after in whatever small way he might ask us to do that.